All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. We are doing something really fun today. I have on Dr. Doug Weiss, who's going to be coming on, and we're going to be talking about prodigal sons and daughters. So this is something our family has lived through, and it's something I think it's really hard. Uh, I was just talking to one of my very close friends who is dealing this with right now with one of their sons who's just slowly drifted away and in their face and yelling at them and arguing. And another one of my friends, all of his kids are into very different levels of addictions. And it is so hard for the family. And so what I'd like to do is uh, introduce everybody here to uh, Dr. Doug Weiss. And we're going to have a deep conversation. Doug just wrote this book, if you guys can see this, called The Prodigal Parent Process. And I recently I was on a call with a number of pastors around the country, and I heard Doug talking about not only sexual addiction, but also this prodigal process. And I just knew this was a topic of conversation that we had to bring out to everybody that's part of this community, because this is a place where God is wants to and is stepping in for some radical healing. And so with that, Doug, uh, welcome to the podcast and the live stream. Well, John, thank you. I'm excited about uh, talking about this today. No, I'm excited to have you here. So folks, uh, Doug, you started Heart to Heart Counseling Center, but you've been a pastor for how many years you've been a pastor now? Well, I was a pastor when I was working on my MDiv. I've been a counselor for over 35 years. I might still go around preaching and teaching and all that kind of stuff, but I don't have a local church. I do counseling. Uh, people fly in from all over the country and world to come see us every week here at Heart to Heart Counseling Center right down the street in Colorado Springs. Yep. We need to get together in person. You've written 40 books. You have over 30 DVDs that people can use and videos. And uh, I think it's really cool too, as a, just an ambassador for Christ that you've gone in and you've been invited in. I think it's so cool how God uses everything on Oprah and Dr. Phil and Good Morning America and Lifetime TV Network, but it's a message that's out there. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I just like to start with this from just the, you know, the beginning of your book, because we think about some of those times, right, when we uh, have our kids and we're growing up and it's awesome and they love us and they're cuddling and we're going to church mm -hmm. and we dedicate them and we have the family dinners. And then they actually um, become teenagers, <laughs> right? And I'll, you know, my boys today are 24, 22, and 17. And my wife, even the other day, goes, I wish we could go back. Those were just like for mm -hmm. her, those are some of her the best times her favorite times. And I like this, right? Here's what you said, right? We scroll through those memories uh, that we're talking about, because this is just what Don and I were talking about. But we don't understand how that once godly child can now yell at us, call us names, be defiant. And we don't even understand that resistance to just even having a conversation, mm -hmm. sharing a meal, let alone when it feels like they go completely off the rails. And I know as we've gone through all of that with our kids, the first reaction we've had is to look in the mirror and go, what did we do wrong as a parent? Mm -hmm. We tried to do everything differently from how our parents raised us so we would get a different result. Absolutely. Right. And, then, and, and with that, I'd love for you to, to like, okay, what is it about our typical reaction that's when I'm reading in your book, it's not even aligned with scripture. Yeah, no, the scripture has a totally different window. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, it's normal when you're facing something that's painful to kind of try to figure out where to put the blame. And it's it's normal to go, okay, well, there's 
you know, two people in this equation, but that's a misunderstanding. You know, oftentimes, John, you know, especially in the secular world, they tend to ask questions without God in it. You know, is marriage between a man and a woman? No, it's between God, a man and a woman. You know, should education have God in it? Of course, because God is the educator. Yes. Okay. But when it comes to your son or your daughter moving kind of in their own way and getting willful and rebellious and not following the teachings that of scripture or teachings that you gave them. And here's the thing, John, it really doesn't matter how successful you are. You might be a multimillionaire. You might be internationally known. You might be a great business leader, pastor, minister. doesn't matter. You, children are children. And free will is the problem. This child is not having a parental issue. They're having a God issue. Who is God? Are they God or is God God? And in the book, we really walk through and we kind of walk through the steps of a prodigal. But for parents, one of the things that I think as Christians that really hurts us when it comes to parenting, because generally the scripture is cause and effect. If you sow a seed, you reap. If you give, there's return. If you're kind, kindness comes back, right? And so we have this kind of cause and effect. If you follow the rules, you should get good results. You know, if you tithe, you, you know, God will protect your money and bless you. And those are all cause and effect. Now, the problem is when you take cause and effect, if I do A, I get B result, and you apply it to parenting, you're going to hurt yourself because parenting is engaging in the risk of free will, just like God did. And your children have free will. So I illustrate this by saying, listen, we all know great parents of kids where, you know, one kid turns out really well and the other kid, you know, goes totally down a different path and becomes an incredible prodigal and maybe even leads in that area of rebellion that they're in. And we also have many testimonies that we all know, people who were raised in really bad families, addictions and craziness, immaturity, mental health issues, and they become world leaders in Jesus. So parenting is not a cause and effect because free will destroys the whole idea that you have any control in this project. So what I'm hearing as you're talking about that is as a son or daughter slips into the choices that they're making, the parents are not responsible in that process? Or is there an element of how we raise our kids, the conversations we have with them that maybe can help them make better choices? Because I think that's kind oh, of our, our, no, our, no our default that. mode, right? Yeah, there's no doubt that we're responsible to be, you know, godly parents and provide those conversations, but that does not guarantee outcome. Mm. Okay. There's a difference between the seed and the soil. Okay. The parents are responsible to be good soil to provide nutrition and, and spiritual guidance and wisdom and financial support and emotional support. But the seed itself determines <laughs> what it becomes. Okay. And you yeah, and look at this. Uh, somebody who's listening is like, wow, good word. Uh, the parenting is actually engaging in that risk of free will. Right. Now, parenting was risky for God, too, because you got to think about this. Now, I don't know how he sold the whole free will thing to the Holy Spirit and Jesus. I don't know how that boardroom meeting went. Like, you know, hey, I, I have this great idea. I really want to have my own set of kids, you know, but here in eternity and timeless place, you know, everyone has to obey me. But I want someone who like doesn't have to say, yes, sir, because I'm God. I really want them to choose to love me, you know, and I'm sure, the, you know, the Holy Spirit and Jesus were like, wow, that's an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, Father. That's, that's a, we should really think about that for maybe a billion years. So they actually created time and space and earth and the galaxies to prevent 
this experiment <laughs> from messing up all of eternity. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of effort to contain the free will experiment. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes, because we're eternal beings born in time. Does that make sense? So we're eternal beings yes. born in time so that we have an eternal location after time. So God had to, he had to create time, the earth, the environment, all that stuff, Genesis 1, that whole thing. And still his two kids went prodigal. And they only had one rule. They didn't even have the Ten Commandments. They only had one. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You, you talk about that in the book. I thought it was fascinating because I think it's a great reference point for all of us as parents, right? Because God, totally. he's the model of everything. Could you walk us through that? Because, uh, you know, it's obvious, but then you read it, you're like, oh, I get it. Well, how yeah. did he handle as a father a prodigal situation? And just think yeah. about, folks, our God who with infinite love created perfection, created these amazing Adam and Eve, and he's in relationship with them. And man, talk about walking away from an amazing family right so you have here you have god the all-knowing all-powerful god creates heavens creates earth he creates stars just so we have something to look at the sun to keep us warm the grass the food all that stuff and then he, he told adam very specifically don't eat of this tree okay and adam didn't for the whole time that god was taking adam from male to man and that's a whole nother conversation we should have someday because adam wasn't created fully man until he hung out with God. He was created male. And then God took him through a process of serving others, giving them names, waking up every day, hard work ethic, you know, doing that. So he became a man and a servant man. And out of the servant man DNA, he created woman who naturally serves because she was created from a servant DNA, a whole nother topic. But so these kids are in the perfect garden, perfect food, perfect environment, and no shame, no knowledge of sin, no knowledge of anything like that. No, a real, you know, violent temptation. I mean, there's a snake, but Adam was given authority over the earth. He knew he had authority over everything that walked on the earth because God told him you have authority over everything here. So he didn't need to listen to the snake. He could have said, shut up and just get out of here. And it would have had to obey him, but he didn't use his authority. And then his authority was usurped from him. But in the process, you look at the father. The father didn't really, he gave him the, the responsibility of, hey, this is the law, the one law, keep that. But when he fell, he didn't void what he said. He didn't say, well, let me try harder. First, God did not blame himself. He didn't say, you know what? Maybe, Adam, I didn't do this right. Maybe I should give you, you know, a different consequence than what we talked about because the wages of sin is death. You know, maybe that's too hard. Or, you know, maybe I should just fund you a little bit further, buy you an apartment, buy you a car, buy you a TV, you know, maybe even a couple of cell phones because one's not good enough for you. You know, God didn't go through that whole process of blaming himself. He's like, okay, you did what I asked you not to do. You know the consequences. And he had the angels walk them out of that abundance, that place where you don't have to work, the place where you don't have to earn, the place where you're blessed. And they had it took him to a place where he had to earn and had to work and had to do things by his own strength. And so God didn't, A, blame himself, and God did not take the consequences away from Adam. Now, he, in the garden, stated how he would redeem mankind, but he let Adam and Eve kind of walk this one out. And he did that in, in your book here. You kind of talked about the prodigal process, which I'd mm -hmm. like to, I'd love to walk through this so we can kind of understand what happens as we see, I, you know, the, I think of the casting crown song, right? Uh, slow fade. Slow right? fade. It's slow a slow fade. fade. It just, it happens slowly, but there is actually a process that's happening 
here. And then, and folks, everybody listening, we're going to be talking about when this does happen and we're the parent of a prodigal. And also a lot of us, you know, uh, Doug, we talked to a lot of leaders. I'll guarantee you a lot of your folks, the people you're oh, working, sitting next to, this is something they are struggling with. And you know what? If we can be in their world, even coming up to somebody who's not a believer and just saying, hey, here's a good word, or can mm -hmm. I pray with you? Because maybe you understand the process better after this conversation and how to pray or what to do. Our goal is just here to equip you because we want to just see healing in these families. Because, Doug, here's the good news. On the end of some really, really difficult years and mm. two of my sons being complete prodigals, the family is completely restored, Amen. healed yeah. um, together. Absolutely. And my relationship with my boys is beyond anything that I had ever hoped for, even when they were babies, quite frankly. Sure. So there is hope on the other end of this. Absolutely. And we're going to talk they, about this. If they come that. home, they come fully home. We'll talk about that later, but you've actually asked two questions. Prevalence. Every time we talk about the parent prodigal process, almost 50% of the parents will raise their hands or acknowledge that they're currently in a prodigal process. Okay. Now, some like you, they've returned home, but these are currently, when we brought this yeah. project up to my staff, half of my staff were like, yeah, I have one. And they're, these are good, godly people. And so they actually started the whole Facebook. We have a prodigal parent Facebook and they're the ones running it because they're like, hey, we get this. We've got this one. Okay. You don't have to help us at all. Okay. Which is great. So then um, I'm sorry, the second part of the, the understanding the prodigal process. Now that is in scripture. And I would encourage everyone yeah. to go to Romans chapter one and really look at the five steps there. Now, the first part of Romans one says they know God. God has revealed himself to everyone. There's not a soul on the earth that doesn't have some revelation of God. Okay. So it's not like the prodigal doesn't know God. That's not their problem. The problem starts on how they respond to God. Okay. The first thing is they don't acknowledge God as God. They don't worship him. They don't put him in the first place. They don't live in a world where he's God. I'm not God. He makes the decisions. I follow the orders. They're like Americans, like, hey, I'll vote whether God's God. It's I'll determine if I am, you know, a God lover or not. You know, I'll determine if God exists or not. And they get in this kind of philosophical place. That is the very first step. And this can happen at 12, 13, 16, 20, 30, 50. Happen anywhere where you say, you know what? I'm not sure God's really God. And then what happens is they become unthankful. Step two, <laughs> they become unthankful. Now, if you've ever worked with a prodigal in their teen, early um, 20s, they're unthankful. They absolutely have a, a sense of entitlement and ingratitude and that they deserve this. And somehow me, the Christian parent, should pay for all of your abundance so that you could afford to sin. And can then I, be can mad I ask at me you to do something and be mad at me for it? Right. And I need to have you circle back because I know that how I respond to these situations when I in my perceptive, if I perceive lack of gratitude or mm -hmm. defiance or these things, how I show up has made the situation so much harder, so much worse on both my wife and my kids. And part of it is I've had to learn how to respond the way Jesus would respond mm -hmm. in a lot of these situations. But I got to tell you, my, you know, growing up the way I grew up and in my family, my first response in some of those situations was just go to anger Oh, Which, you know what, it didn't, I tell you this, it didn't help the process. How's that? No, it didn't help. It was kind of a, maybe we'll talk about this later, but it was where you were in your grief. Mm. You know, because when you're being betrayed by someone that you love and you can't unlove them, you can't detach from them, you can't fire them, you can't move away from them. 
you go through grief and anger is one of the stages of grief. You're mad that this is happening. You're a good Christian man. You go to church, you pay your tithes, you serve Jesus, you're ministering to people around the world. And this shouldn't happen to me. <laughs> okay, This should happen to the Bubba down the street who doesn't go to church, but his son is the youth pastor. That's, That's who right. this should be happening to. I love to. my kids. They should love right. me back. I'm a better right. dad than I grew up, you know, or a different set of parents than what I grew up with. And you know what? That's a point I never considered, Doug. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. So the grief is real. So your response. So they become unthankful. Then it says that their, their thinking becomes futile. And actually, the things they think about and how they think about their political views, their worldviews begin to change. And their thinking becomes futile. And futile is thinking without God. I mean, if you want to be futile in your thinking, just take God out of your equation. That's how we got secularism. And you know, how was the earth created? Well, God wasn't there. That's secularism. And so they're futile. Their thinking becomes futile. Then it gets to worse. Their hearts become darkened. Now, when the heart, that's the mind, the will, and the emotions become darkened, that's when they really start getting funky. They don't feel bad about their sin. They don't feel bad about how they're lying about you or to you. They don't feel bad about stealing from you. They don't feel bad about things like that. There's less conviction of sin. Their hearts become darker. Okay, and as they go down the list, it gets into, you know, the idolatry, the sexual morality, and that's where they get into the addictions. That's where they get into really having behaviors that hurt themselves and others. But this whole thing, the prodigal process isn't about how a child relates to their parent. It's how they're relating to God in their heart. And their heart is what the prodigal process is about. It's not about mom and dad. God doesn't blame mom and dad for a prodigal. You know, there's, when Jesus shared the prodigal story, he didn't blame the dad for the son wanting to be a prodigal. Okay, just like he didn't blame himself in the garden. And when we see the prodigal story with God, even with Israel, God did not blame himself when Israel became a prodigal. And that, that would go on for on and off for hundreds of years at a time. And so that's the process, and it's independent of parenting. And so you might be a fantastic parent and have a raging prodigal, and you might be a really bad parent and have a really on-fire Jesus lover, okay? And that's the whole thing about free will. That's the whole thing about there is no cause and effect. And it is powerless, you know? You do your best. You love your best. You try your best. You most likely have done significantly better than your parents. But just like your parents didn't have any decision on what you became, you don't have any decision on what your children become. And that's hard. But when you understand the prodigal processes between them and God, it makes it a little different. And that your kids aren't ungrateful to you. They're really ungrateful to God. Mm. They're not really unthankful to you. They're really unthankful to God. And if you as a parent can direct that up instead of taking it personally, that's probably a good place to be. Like, you know what? This ingratitude, I get it. You and God are having a problem. And you're not grateful for even just breathing or being born in America. You're not even grateful for just, you know, the privilege that you do have in so many ways. And you and God are really at odds with how much he's blessed you. So I'm going to stay out of the way and you can just get mad at him because this is not about me, man. It's not about me. It's mm. <laughs> a much better response and it usually takes them off, but it really puts it in the right path. Well, it, I love how you, you know, brought that in the conversation. So, you know, somebody comes to you, right, and, and they're a parent of a prodigal. Mm -hmm. Right. Their kids are off and they've they that's, they've how, that's, that's how this book happened. Yeah. I had a, I, you know, who Chris Hodges is. Mm -hmm. He called me up. He said, Doug, I have a pastor, a big church. Their son's into all kinds of sexual sin. They're good people. Can you help them? I go, that's kind of outside my wheelbox. But sure, because I deal with sex addiction and pornography addiction, all that. That's what I do for 35 years. I'm like one of the best in the world at that. 
But this is how the book came about. These parents loved Jesus and they had a crazy out of control son. And the things that we did in, in session for five days, they did an intensive, changed their life. They're still very well off now. And they inspired this book because it was just download after download after download after download. I'm like, this is too good. These people were literally different people by Friday because they broke the guilt and shame, the false guilt and shame. They were blaming themselves. Mm. They were impacting their marriage because they were blaming each other. <laughs> right. You know, well, you're describing so many of my friends right now. The yeah. marriage is oh, absolutely yeah. at odds. They're at each other's throat. They're blaming each other. And that's grief. And, but you said false guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And I know like for my wife, those were the um, dominant emotions and feelings oh, as we went through some of the things that we constantly. went through. How do, how do you handle that as a couple? Well, it's kind of like, you know, one of the things I deal with is I deal with sex addiction, right? And a lot of those guys cheat on their wives and the wives will blame themselves. I'll say, no, you're not responsible for your husband making a free will choice to walk, you know, go hire someone to do something with. Mm. You can't be responsible for that. Okay. Now, in the same way, a parent's not responsible for the children's activities. Now, here's what happens. There is pain in the situation. And when humans have pain, they want to try to figure out who to blame for the pain. <laughs> right? So they might blame themselves. And a lot of women really do. Well, maybe I wasn't there. Maybe I wasn't good enough. Maybe the cookies weren't just right temperature or crazy stuff. Right? And most of them are fantastic moms. Okay? Mm -hmm. If you have a good kid, your argument's totally bad. Okay? As you were probably just as good a mom to the both, right? But you're not logical at this point because you're in pain, right? Right. So now if I can't blame me because I was a really good mom or a really good dad, well, maybe it was my spouse that failed. And what they're doing, they're in grief, shock, anger, denial, bargaining. Bargaining is if this wouldn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened. If X didn't happen, Y would not be here. Kind of like if they wouldn't have met the wrong person in high school, if they wouldn't have dated the wrong person. No, they dated the wrong person because their heart was already darkened. They dated the wrong person because their thoughts were already futile. They dated the wrong person because they already weren't acknowledging God as God, so they were making their own decisions. They didn't say, God, should I date this person? They're like, hey, they're hot. They like me. I should date this person. Their thinking was without God. So they made God-less decisions. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. So, but, but in the grief process, you're trying to find someone to blame. And so, well, if I can't blame me because I'm pretty good, I'm going to blame him or her because I know they have shortcomings and they weren't there for them at their football game that one time. And, you know, they weren't there when this happened. And, you know, the way they dealt with that, you know, maybe they were angry men and that's what caused the, my son to be a prodigal or whatever. And so then, then what happens, instead of blaming 100% the prodigal for 100% of their willfulness and 100% of the process, some percentage of blame goes to the spouse. And I have a whole chapter on that with the, in the book, The Prodigal yeah. Parent Process, because that's where it can get jacked up because a prodigal can actually tip the marriage into uh, the divorce kind of place because we're trying to jockey for responsibility for someone else's sin. Like, I'm not responsible for anybody's sin but mine. And that's enough, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, but this thing of, Trying to blame your spouse is very, very common. I agree. It's also kind of an easy thing to do because you know what? In blaming my wife or her blaming me, mm -hmm. it almost removes us from the responsibility of really trying to address the situation as best we can. Sure. Well, it also, you don't want to see your kid as not knowing God or not rejecting God 
Right. You don't want to see your kid as their thinking being come defiled or futile. You don't want to see your kid with a dark heart. So instead of seeing that, let's find something else to look at. Yeah. So I love this comment here. Somebody just posted, lay this all at the feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. So in doing that, let's just say I do have a prodigal son. I mean, actively, my kids are, I'm just thinking of one of my good friends. One of his mm-hmm. sons is in New York City living as a on the streets as a transvestite. Another one is in a very abusive relationship. And the other one of his kids, all three of them have drifted this, is living in a crack house with a woman he got pregnant, but at least they're together, but they're raising their kid. So and this has been really painful because you oh, see yeah. the kids day to day making yeah. these choices. Uh, he's a uh, you know Christian home, Mm-hmm. Uh, raise the kids as best they could. Absolutely. And he's looking at what he sees as the fruit from his tree. See, that's the deception. Yeah. That is the deception right there. Parenting is not a fruit. Mm. Free will eradicates parenting from being fruit. Because if you were to do that logic, then God himself has darkness for fruit. Wow, that is that is powerful, Doug. So, so you can't have that logic and be biblical thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, Adam's failure did not make God dark. <laughs> Adam's sin did not make God something. God is God. Adam is Adam, and Adam took the full brunt of that thing. Okay, now it's sad when you have multiple kids who choose the wrong way, and there might be other variables, and we talk about that in the book. Okay, there could be sexual abuse. Maybe all three of them were sexually abused and no one told anybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, that happens a lot. 15% of men, 30% of women, even in the church. Okay. And this is, and and you say in the book, what surprised me, these are young adults, right? These are what, 17 and under? That's where those stats come from, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Sexual abuse usually happens anywhere from six to 14, usually is that big window. But so they could be carrying secrets that have nothing to do with parenting. But your children are not your fruit. Your fruit is love, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's your fruit. Your fruit might be people getting saved, healed, delivered, set free, prospering them in some way. Those are your fruit. Your children, they are their own thing. Does that make sense? Completely. And in the way that you framed it up, right, is if I look at that as like I bore bad fruit. And then I said, okay, well, that also would mean God bore bad fruit, which is not possible. Right. Just totally changed the context of, I think, to even how to think about that. And for me, what that does, too, is separates, I think, uh, how we perceive the success or failure of our children Mm. from our own identity. Mm. A lot of us have drifted from an identity in Christ to our our identity of these things in the world. Mm. And that's where we're getting our worth from. And I think Mm. it's also that dynamic that makes this really hard for certain people. Well, it makes it hard the other way too, because even if your kids are brilliant, successful, loving Jesus, you had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Fair point. I'm such a great dad. Look at these amazing kids. (laughs) You provided the soil and they themselves made those choices. They should be very glad and proud of them for doing that. And yes, you had some influence and yes, you created the environment, but you did not create the result. And they should get full credit for following Jesus the way they're following Jesus. Does that make sense? And so you can cut that blame and stuff right off right there, because if you believe your children are your fruit, then you're going to have this ungodly umbilical cord to try to make that better so you look better. 
Yeah. And somebody put a comment in here, right? That that person I mentioned needs to keep going after his kids, hanging out with them. And I just want to share with you guys, he does. He loves absolutely, them absolutely. unconditionally. I've never seen anybody rise to a challenge more in a way that inspires me, okay, but it's but still look, painful look. because you know what? The anger, the blame comes, mm -hmm. the ingratitude, all it doesn't matter. Right. And this is from his perspective yeah. uh, and his wife. So when we're in this situation, right? So uh, the I love that, right? The fruit that grows on our trees is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not what our kids do. But in the kids who are now in the world doing this, how do we then respond as parents? Doug? Now, this is going to be somewhat individualistic, okay, depending on the, the relationships you have and stuff like that. And it is good. First of all, you're right. You know, stay in love with your kids. Stay in prayer for your kids. Believe God. We'll talk about that later for them to be restored because God has been dealing with prodigals from the first couple. Okay. Okay. So he's a professional. He knows more how to handle this than you do. And he's brighter than you are. So trust him in that process. Now, as far as what the scripture talks about, as far as the prodigal, one of the chapters in the book, I talk about the father in the prodigal story. And then, and then I talk about the brother and I have a totally different spin on the brother. And hopefully we can talk about that. But the father in the story, interesting. He knew his kid probably wasn't going to do the best, okay, with what's going to happen here. But he gave him the money anyway because he knew if this son did not get his will right, if he didn't want to be on the farm and he didn't want to serve, that it was just going to be a disaster anyway. So he gave him the money. This was probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. This guy was rich. But it's interesting, the father never left the farm. He didn't chase the kid. He didn't send him another check. He didn't have a servant check up on him. He let the child go through the God prodigal process. The kid walked off to a far off country. So when he walked back, it took weeks and months to come back. It was not a two-day trip back home. This kid was really far off. So the kid had to go through his own process of trusting others and trusting God. And when he repented, he repented to God first. You know, I sinned against heaven. Okay, he repented to God, and then he walked back to his father. But the father never left, okay, the home and chased the son. Now, when the son got to the driveway, okay, so the prodigal walked weeks or months or to get home to the driveway. Then the father ran down the driveway, which is great. And you all know the story. He hugged him. But a lot of way people preach that. It's like almost like the kid repented in the next minute. You know, you see the father hugging the son. No, that could have been weeks or months apart where the son actually changed his heart. And the father was so happy because his heart was changed. And he came back and he hugged and kissed him. And he didn't restore his finances. He's going to let him deal with that himself. He didn't say, oh, no, now I'm going to divide it again and you still get half. That didn't happen in the story either. But it's interesting how the father maintained his own boundaries. He kept working on the farm, being there for his other son, you know, providing for his family and the people that were he's employing and doing the next right thing. And he really didn't chase after the solutions because he knew he wasn't the solution. Say that again. So that's the hard thing, right? That's we, the hard we, thing. We want to do like my kid makes a bad decision. They were right. How about my kids in high school though, that, you know, maybe you start to realize they're making, they're getting a little bit darker there. You can tell like, okay, that's, they're not hanging out with the right crowd, mm -hmm. right? This isn't somebody that just took off and left. So they're still in the family. They're under my roof. Yeah, that's a child. That's how, do, how do we start to respond to some of that when we start seeing that slide that the kids are in? Okay, so I want to make sure we make this distinction first. A child yeah. is not an adult, okay? 
the prodigal in the story was a young adult. Good point. Okay. Okay. So we have to make sure that when we're talking about prodigal, we're talking about two different versions. There's the teenager under your roof, which is a child. And then there's a, an adult who just is doing their own thing. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you. Fair distinction. Cause it's very different. Really important distinction because people get confused. You talk about that. So as a teenager, if they're still under your house, you can still provide the influence, maybe get them treatment, uh, put them in a different school, homeschool them. You can try to do your best you can, but the heart is the heart. And if the heart wants to be dark and reject God, it's going to do it. Okay. Now, again, you can't bet on outcome. But you should do the best you can. Get them counseling. Get them help. You know, talk about the drugs, sex, uh, relationships, choices, and stuff like that. And do what you can to manage that. Okay? And don't support them going in the wrong direction. That's the best you can do. Yeah. And then they grow up. And if they become that adult prodigal, then you're in a whole different ballgame. And that's where you really need to look at if you're enabling them to make you feel better. Well, you bring up a good point too. I actually, now that my kids are older, I actually feel now, Doug, the most important parenting that I get to do is with my adult kids. Oh, yeah. The younger right. years laid the foundation, mm -hmm. but right now what they do, their choices, their lives that they live is more consequential than ever. Absolutely. And, and this is the time where I'm not only their dad, but their discipler, their mentor, exactly, their friend. Exactly, exactly. And it's a different role than when they're, I have one kid who's in the house, but mm -hmm. I, I really think it's important. So let's just say with those kids, they're adults. I think that's a lot that create a lot of the concern for the parents is, okay, yeah. I have a you failure to launch, right? My young adult is oh, out yeah. doing all this stuff. What do I do? And Right? I think that's where we get stuck. Yeah, and I think the failure to launch is oftentimes enabling. You know, there's something very powerful when you don't know how you're going to eat where you cry out to God. Now, what's interesting in the prodigal son story is that God created a famine on the land. The whole land suffered to get this one kid home. Okay? The whole land mm. suffered. Unemployment numbers went down. COVID happened. I mean, the whole land suffered to bring a child home. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You got a bad job. And then it was after that, he's like, you know what? I can't, this is ridiculous. He had to hit his own bottom. Now the prodigal wasn't staying at the father's house. No, no. And then he had to eat muck out of the field. Right. So he wouldn't so it, starve. It's okay. It's okay for an adult. If they don't want to work to not have the benefits of working mm. because not having the benefits of working is what motivates you to get a job. Like if you're walking everywhere, you figure out, Hey, I need a car. Well, if I need a car, I need to get a job. Yeah. Those are good thoughts to have. And sometimes yeah. this is where in the prodigal parent process, what I really encourage churches to do is get a parent who's been through this process. And there's a workbook that goes with this, a DVD, and get these parents together and let them start helping each other. So that when you think you have this brainstorm idea, you know what, I'm going to buy my kid a new car. I think that'll help their self-esteem. You'll have someone else say, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And let me tell you, <laughs> and you need another person who's not your spouse to balance you. Because oftentimes the coupleship, there is a natural balance where one person will say something like that ridiculous and the other person will say no. But what happened is the person who thinks it's a good idea will beat up the person who thinks it's a bad idea. But if someone else, especially of the same gender, like suppose mom wants to buy the kid a car and dad's like, that's not a good idea. Well, he's going to get beat up for that idea. And so, but if mom goes to a group with other women and there's four other godly women who she respects and they all say, don't do that. 
she will hear those women more than she will hear her husband. Well, you know, here's something maybe to address. I'd love your thoughts on this because it's been hard for our family. My son got a classmate pregnant in high school. Yeah. Right. So he drifted into the party and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. through an amazing intervention that God did. They chose to keep the child and they were. And now I just want to share this with folks, right? The association that they drifted into in a Christian high school, mm-hmm. a majority of their friends were saying, get an abortion because you know mm-hmm. you're going to get expelled from this Christian high school if you keep a baby because mm-hmm. it goes against our honor code. And that's what happened. They got expelled. The fear, the shame, the guilt that came from the expulsion yeah, when they chose to keep the baby, I think was harder on them at the time. But I also, I just felt uncomfortable at our, the church we were at at the time. Oh, you have one of those kids. Right. It reflects right, right. on you as a parent. Right. And I got to tell you, the community, nobody in our church community. And it, so we actually left that church to find another place, a much mm-hmm. smaller church. But I think there's a lot of folks that oh, this, are going through this, but they going to a traditional church is not a place of support and love and healing. No, especially if it's more religious than spiritual, you know, and if they have some of these ideas like, well, that shows that you can't, you know, you're not a Jesus person because your kids are really a wreck. Uh, That's an inappropriate understanding of the Bible. But that is why it's 100%. We wrote the Prodigal Parent Process book, workbook, video, is to get churches a tool to start having this conversation, just like divorce recovery, just like, you know, we have uh, freedom groups and clean groups for men's purity. We have partners groups for spouses of sex addicts in churches. You know, we have all kinds of groups all across the country and the world, actually, to heal each other. Because if we confess our faults one to another, no matter what those faults are, no matter what those feelings are, we can be healed. Okay, we heal in the community. And you're right, um, John, so many people right now, if you're listening to me and you've got a prodigal and you can't talk to somebody about it, you know, you're really going to be hurting alone. You know, I'd really strongly encourage you to get, of course, get the material, start yourself, but then start a group because there's at least 20, 30, 40, 50 percent of other parents in your church who have no ministry, who have no no one to reach out to, no one to say, I get you. I understand you, brother. I love you. Don't blame yourself. Let's walk through this. Matter of fact, let's just pray right now. The two of us, let's both of us agree on earth as it is in heaven for your child's soul for them to be get their, their scales to fall off, for them, the relationships that are dark to be dried up and those roots would be far fled mm-hmm. from them and to really start interceding together and build a team around the prodigals and around the prodigal parents process so that these parents don't feel less than, they don't feel wounded, they don't feel like they're to blame, they don't put their head down, they don't get in, you know, avoid ministry that they're called to because of what their children are up to. You know, and like the couple that came to me that started this whole initiative for me, they had a several thousand member church, powerful church. And they just, um, you know, they were starting to put their head down and it was hard for them to preach. And so it's, that's not the way it should be, not the way it should be at all. We should enter our ministry because of our calling and our responsibility and allow our children uh, to have responsibility for their choices. Doug, thank you for saying that. I just want to point something out, folks. I just want to add this up here. This is Doug's website. I got to tell you, the your resources, the work you've put in over your lifetime, sexual healing, which I know you said affects, what, a third of the young women? That number was just kind of blew my mind. And 15% of the young men, which also means that there's a lot of us listening right now who've carried that into adulthood. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. 
And I'm guessing that it's probably unresolved because it's hard to talk about. It's hard Absolutely. to talk about. And you're, we're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of people going, oh, it's that guy. But folks, here's the, the website, Dr. Doug Weiss. There's some amazing resources. You can come in person. You can work with their team. You can go through a book together. This book mm -hmm. I bought, I got to tell you, Doug, I bought this book. I am reading through it and I'm buying about a dozen more mm -hmm. once I've read through the whole thing to give. I have that many friends who yeah. right now are struggling with this. A lot of us know. I can tell when a woman buys the book and two weeks later, there's an order for 10 or 15 more because women just care for people. It's like, oh my gosh, Judy, you need to have this. Jane, you need to have this because, you know, we've been praying for your son for 10 years, you know, and we've been doing a couple of things wrong. You don't have to blame, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's really, it is fun. And that's the heart of this uh, for parents to start becoming uh, support for one another. And to, to break the silence of this, this is not something you've done. It's the same as the women who their husbands are doing pornography or betrayed, and they feel like they're the only one in the church. 50% of the women in that church are having the same problem, but no one's talking about it. So they're all suffering in silence. And I really mm -hmm. believe we're in the revival era of the church, that America is getting darker because the church has to become who she is. And mm. if she does heal the brokenhearted, we will have warriors and we will have people taking the places in education and politics and sports and other areas of mountains that we need to take. OK, but this is such a place where a parent can literally get wounded. And like you said, walk out of church with their head down and they might not return for 20 years because they didn't feel like they were good enough or that like we talked about. We, we cleared this up that, you know, my fruit is bad. So therefore I am bad. Well, it's not your fruit. That's God's fruit. God created that child. You did not create that child. You carried it, but you didn't create it. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to put this in the context of the process, right? My son, right? He knew God when he was younger. He starts mm -hmm. to reject God. He starts to, right, go to parties and be mm -hmm. with girls. So he's already slid into this dark place. And then what you're doing when you're in that place, when all this happened with him in high school, and he felt rejected by Christians. Absolutely. But guess what? I'm not thinking rationally. I'm not thinking with the mind that God gave us at that time. I'm deceived. So mm -hmm. now I'm going to use that as evidence for making more bad decisions. And then, mm -hmm. and you have to get to a place where you're like, okay, this really kind of blows and I don't mm -hmm. like it. And I like what you said there, right? The helicopter parents, the lawnmower parents, the places when I've been at those inflection points in my life where I'm like, I'm really am at rock bottom. And I got to climb out of this. Mm -hmm. I probably could have gotten there sooner if people just, you know, let me get there. I don't know yeah. if that's the right way to think about it. Absolutely. I don't know. Is that cold? Or is that callous? No, no, no. There's this, you know, there is when people are the prodigals, tough love is a much better process. And it's a biblical process more than enabling love. And both are love. God had tough love and he has compassion, grace, mercy. They're all the same. Okay. Because the father and the prodigal story was more on the tough love side. Like, you know what? Okay, here's your check. That's it. Figure it out. And so, so this just popped into my head and my heart. I don't know whether this is a God nudging because maybe this is somebody's situation out there. What if I'm afraid of a sibling, afraid of a child because they're big, they're angry, they're doing drugs. And I feel like if I cut them off, I let them go be a prodigal, they're it could be really ugly for me as the parent. How do I think through that? Well, there's where if you had a support group, you'd have three guys showing up with that boy. And mm. you say, if you act like this, all three of us are going to take you behind this house and we're going to show you what being a man's about. Mm. 
You yell at your mom like that. We are going to be, your dad might not be here. We are going to step in. And if you act like a 14 year old who's out of control and you're going to start threatening your mom, we're going to come over here and we're going to, we're going to help you with that. Okay. So this is where having support helps. Now, if you don't have that support, of course, you wouldn't, you call the police. But again, having boundaries, we cover that in the book. It's really important. But you don't need to be afraid or need to be loved by your children. Mm. It's nice to be loved by your children, but it is not mandatory to be their parent. <laughs> okay. All right. And I always tell people if your kids love you all the time, you must really be the worst parent. <laughs> You know, because you really have yes, to be I get that. That's you right. have to be unliked at some point because of the conflicts of growth and it's normal and it's healthy for them to do that. And, you know, our, we are incredibly neuroplastic as people. We can grow from the worst prodigal to the saint. You know, there's so much church history, St. Augustine and so many other people throughout church history who were the worst sinners. Paul himself said, I am the worst sinner. And he wrote one third of the New Testament at least. And so this is a really big thing for us to grapple with this age in our church history to really get a solution for the prodigal. I've never heard a decent sermon on the prodigal father or the prodigal, the brother, the brother is always mischaracterized as self-righteous. And I just don't see that when you actually live with a prodigal system, the older brother knew what the brother was doing. He knew he was sneaking out and seeing prostitutes and getting drunk. He knew what he was going to do with that money. Okay, and then he's stuck with double work, double responsibility, because that guy's not here anymore. Okay, he's seeing the father, and if there's a mother in the story, you see both of the parents crying, hurting, and angry because of what the prodigal is doing to their marriage, to their life, to their reputation. So they're carrying more pain than the parent. Does that make sense? Uh -huh. And parent love is unconditional. Sibling love is conditional. <laughs> okay, and when you're a sibling... You know, if you're not carrying the kind of the values of your family, your family say, don't even hang around with someone like that. And yet, as soon as they come home, forgive them and forget. No, the mm -hmm. siblings take a little more time to trust and reestablish their relationship. The brother wasn't rejecting the other brother. He's like, you know, I'm just, it's just too early for me to go in and have a party about this because I don't trust that kid yet. It's just been five minutes, dad. Okay, I know you're excited, but I'm not excited yet. Mm. Okay, give me some time. And we need to give our good children time to heal before we demand that they forgive and forget. Does that make sense? A hundred percent, because, you know, one of the things I teach is when you do something wrong and you apologize, an apology is not a transaction to keep moving on. Apology is about seeking forgiveness, but it doesn't mean that you get forgiveness. So when I've done something and totally mess up, you know, what I share with my sons or my wife is, hey, listen, I did this and I accept responsibility for it. And, you know, please forgive me or when you can. Mm. And sometimes like for my wife, I'll do some things, Doug, just be real. And it might take her three, four five days or sure. or it comes up two weeks later. And, you know, in the past, I'd be like, what? I apologize for that. Or, hey, uh, hey. but you know what? Guess what? She had a process through it. I might have damaged some trust. And I think that's a great that's point because I've always heard about the brother as the self-righteous dude. That, He's just not that guy. He's just You know not. what? He could be like, you know what? This was hard for me too. Yeah, that's exactly. And now he's really back. Was. And you know what? Is it going to happen again? Are we going right. to build all this up? And I've seen all it break this your heart. stuff that I've built working while he's been partying, he's going to go take half of it again. I never thought oh, yeah. of it from that perspective, but I'm sure that's what was going through his head. Oh, totally. And that's what I think Jesus was trying to show us. But there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Mm -hmm. And True. you can ask forgiveness 
And that's what he did with the father. Father, forgive me. I sinned against heaven. You right. He, he asked for forgiveness. Okay. But trust is different. Trust is okay. I believe you. I believe you're not going to do this to me anymore. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a different thing. And that can take some time. So this is a good conversation to probably keep having, but I'm really hoping that some people not only get the prodigal parent process book materials, but start a group. We mm-hmm. really need to ban, we need to get these parents together and talking. And pastors, if you're listening, please, you've got leaders and you know the ones who've had prodigals. Say, listen, here's the material. You starting a group in the fall because there's probably 10 to 20, 30, 50, or 100 people who need to have this in their lives. And it really will make a difference in how these people stay engaged in church and actually use their faith and use their community of faith to battle against the prodigal. You in a battle against the prodigal, get 5, 10, 15 families praying for that kid as opposed to just you and your husband alone. Well, and, you know, the way that you've done it with the, you know, the materials you have on the website and just this book, just reading it so far, you could form a group right now, folks. You don't need any training. training. Uh, Let me know, right? If you just said, okay, folks, we're going to just read five or 10 pages of this a day. We're going to get together every week, talk about what was in here, and then talk about what's going on in our lives and prayer requests for our kids and just start to build those relationships and that Mm -hmm. support group. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important in a group like that, you kind of set the table up front. Like, you know what, guys, let's just make this as a place where this is confidential. We can share anything. We can, you know what, we're not going to be gossiping outside of this group. We're not going to say, oh, did you hear about Doug's daughter? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, what? That is a cancer, folks. And it's become part of our how we communicate. It's been fostered by, I think, the enemy through social media, but gossip has become a form of communication and it is very, very destructive. But so here's the great news is we can go do that. If you guys form a group, let me know. Uh, Me and Doug, we'd love to hear about this. We'd love to support you. I think at our church group, uh, I think we're going to do that. We have Um, a, a prodigal parent process Facebook group. We just started it last week. So if you can't start a group and you want support, there's other parents on that Facebook group and they can start connecting there and, you know, start supporting each other there as well. And if they go to our, our website, drdougweiss.com, I think there's a place that says groups and it's listed there. If not, just call our office, 719-278-3708. And my staff will be happy to help you. And because I am this fast, I, uh, there it is, guys. There's the link. You can wow. go. Okay, John. Good. Gold star, man. <laughs> And I'm going to join that group. Um, let's see. Is this, I got to make sure it's your group. Yes, definitely. It is. Yes, yeah, the only one. Okay. How about this? You know, as we kind of wrap up, Doug, what are just everybody listening to this, right? Either you're here, I'm guessing, because you have a prodigal son or daughter. Uh, you have somebody who you know who they are hurting, their marriage is hurting. They're coming to you constantly with updates and saying, please pray for my son, please mm-hmm. for my daughter, pray for my marriage because this is happening. Doug, what are just some final thoughts you can just leave for everybody as uh, listening? I would say, number one, grab a hold of the hand of God and the heart of God and don't leave it. Number two, grab a hold of the hand and the heart of other, other people in the same situation, okay? And grab a hold of your spouse's hand and heart and say, I'm not going to blame you. We're going to fight together. We're not going to fight against each other. Those three things there, if you can practically put those in your heart and life, they can make this process a lot easier. And go through the workbook. Go through the video. Get the best information you can to know the process you're in. You have been traumatized. You have been hurt. You are going to grieve. And you do need to have boundaries. And find out really quality information in the process you're in, not because of yourself, but because of the choice your child has made for you. 
You know, thank you for that, Doug. And and I got to tell you, as we went through some things, I had an accident 10 years ago. I was in the hospital for two years, had a severe brain injury. Um, my emotional control, my social felt, I was not the person my kids remember. It was really hard, very damaging. And mm -hmm. in that, though, we knew we needed some help to start healing. And finding somebody to help that worked well with our family, that understood the issues, that could actually create a process yeah, forward. I got to tell you, Doug, it was so hard, though. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really want to tell folks, and when I heard about what you're doing and what you're doing at Heart to Heart, I was so excited. Folks, I want you to just look at this. You can go to, you know, drdougweiss.com, right? I didn't tell Doug I was doing this, but folks, you need to know somebody. Hopefully just listening to Doug, you realize, man, that Doug is awesome. He's the real deal. His folks are Amazing. I, I haven't even met your folks. I just hear how you talk about them. Mm. But look at some of the counseling, right? From sex addiction to families, marriage and couples, relationship. I want you to know that you're not in this alone. Mm. You can join a group. You should join a group. There's times when the body's really sick. If I fell down and had a compound fracture right out here on my step, I would immediately go call the, the ambulance, wouldn't I? Mm. And guess what? Some of us have a compound fracture in our family, mm -hmm. in our relationship with Christ, in who, our identity in Christ and who we are. And sometimes it's time to call somebody that understands that and can help us. Because mm -hmm. sometimes we need triage and then we need long-term treatment. Yep. And God is there every step of the way. Amen. But just like a doctor, you need somebody that is trained and be right there with you. So Awesome. Thank you, John. With that, uh, Doug, thank you very much for being here. Folks, connect with Doug. I'd love to have him back on. What I would really like to tackle, because I know it's an epidemic and we mm. touched on it here a little bit, is do a, another one on sexual addiction. Oh, absolutely. I know that might be hard for a lot of you to listen to. It's stuff, I'll just be honest, I've been through in mm. my life. It's stuff me and my wife have had to work through. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It is, I've seen the numbers, it's gotten worse, but absolutely. But this, let's just, how about this, Doug, if you wouldn't mind maybe closing us out in a prayer for those parents right now that are in this situation Amen. with the prodigal, could we close out and, maybe, and just have you pray for everybody? Absolutely. Father God, I just thank you, first of all, for every parent and, and friends of parents, because a lot of friends listening who, you know, you're going to have to share this uh, podcast with them. Let's pray, God, that you will just show yourself strong. Uh, there's miracles. Help them to have faith, have at least faith in them, to believe in you that you love this child you created more than they do, more than they can understand how much you love them, and you're on it. So right now we release faith for these children uh, to be brought back, to be healed, to be delivered, to be set free, to come home to you. And as they come home to you, they'll come back to their parents. That's what the prodigal did. So right now, Father, I validate the, the pain, the hurt, the anger, the trauma these parents are going through. And I pray that, God, you just give them some friends that they can walk through in an honest way and just put their hands out and say, I just need support. I need love. And that they will receive that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And thank you, Doug. God bless you. you. Keep knocking them alive out there, my I friend. Did. And I look forward to our next conversation. Yes, yes. We'll get this set up. Thanks. Bless you, John.